Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me a great pleasure to formally introduce our guest co-host for today. I never take it lightly when our guest co-hosts say yes to our invite. And so um, today is, is no exception. I'm really excited for you all to be in community with Dr. Stephanie M. Kirkland. Stephanie M. Kirkland is known as the Identity Shaper. Dr. Stephanie M. Kirkland is the CEO and founder of Identity Dynamics, a leadership development company. Dr. Kirkland has created and facilitates an identity-centered leadership development program for organizations that want to build resilient leaders, retain talent, execute measurable DEIB goals, drive a sustainable culture of equity and inclusion, and enhance leadership capabilities. Who does not want all of those things a part of their organization, right? She believes that identity-centered leadership programs set the stage for transformational organizational growth. By guiding leaders in building and developing their leader identity and leadership philosophy, it creates sustainable impact on the day-to-day mindset and behaviors of the leader, the teams, and organizations. And so if you are here with us, podcast community, or whether you're live on LinkedIn, I want you to go to the chat section, go to the comment section, and please find those emojis, find those words of affirmation, but help me to welcome our guest co-host today, Dr. Stephanie M. Kirkland. So excited to have you. And um, I'm going to add you to the spotlight. And my friend, I, I gave you a little bit of warning, but not too much, but I said that one of the first things I would ask you to do before you greet this audience is to find a way to share something with us that we would not know from reading your bio or even from looking at your LinkedIn profile. So welcome. And what would you like to share with us today, Dr. Kirkland? Well, I think I'm going to share something um, that really also ties into my understanding of identity-centered leadership. And so the thing that I'm going to share is I know how to crochet. Yeah. Okay. I, can, I can make blankets, I can make scarves, I can I can crochet. Now the connection um, with the crocheting is it was taught to me by my grandmother. And mm-hmm. when I used to go to visit her in the summers, we used to get on her porch. She had a screened in porch, Dr. Nika. And when it rained, it seemed like I always went up there when it rained. And when it rained, we would sit on the porch and she would always bring me this bright pink yarn and she would teach me how to do my little chain and she would sit making these big beautiful blankets and I'm you know doing my little chains link by link by link but that historical context that lived experience right that has shaped um, a part of who I am as an individual my creativity uh, my lens to try new things and so crocheting is peace for me rain and crocheting those are um, peaceful things for me. And so I, whenever I see that, um, it reminds me of her, but it also reminds me of my connection to who I am as an individual. I love that. I love that. Thank you. And you said that crocheting for you is peace. And I was just going to say that I've heard from some other 
folks that are into crocheting that it's very therapeutic. It's almost like yeah. they're escape for a moment. And so yeah. I think that's important, especially as we really lean into mental health, right? And we encourage people to find those outlets that allows them to, um, to have a sense of peace and rest. Right. And I'm so glad that you found yours. And it's, it's really inspiring um, me and I'm sure probably some other folks in the audience today to, to think intently about what is that? What is our crochet? If it's not crocheting, yeah. then what is that for us? And so yeah. thank you so much for sharing. So I want to I want to jump right into this um, notion of being an identity shaper, and you touched on that a little bit as you were sharing your your one information um, that maybe we wouldn't know about you from reading your bio. But can you tell us a little more about your background and what led you to start Identity Dynamics, and and what exactly is an identity shaper? Um, well, what identity shaper has actually come from my clients. Um, mm. and people would go through my programs and, um, and they were like, girl, you shape my identity, girl, you know, <laughs> and, um, and I had one of my um, clients in particular, and she said to me, she was like, Stephanie, you're an identity shaper. And I was like, what? Mm. She said, yeah, yeah. You shape, you help people find the pieces to who they are and you help oh. us shape it. You help give us, you know, shape and, and, you know, aesthetics to how we show up and, she said, you should, you should call yourself an identity shaper. And so I told her, I said, I'm stealing that. I'm stealing I it. it. I give it no credit. And she was like, you ain't going to give me credit, you know, you know, trying to be funny, but um, yeah. And that's how it stuck. It stuck from a client um, sharing that with me. I love that. So mm -hmm. in your own words, I know that your client kind of inspired the name Identity Shaper, but obviously it was because you were showing up in a certain way, producing certain results for people. So tell us, what is that approach? What is that like? And and, and how have you seen your approach to identity shaping of individuals change their lives? Um, my approach to identity shaping or identity-centered leadership is really about how do we harness our identity and all its complexity and all of the varieties of what makes us who we are. And then how do I leverage who I am to support how I show up, right? Yeah. Not not pulling off of other people's lens or looking at, oh, what works for them, but no, what are the pieces that make me who I am? What are my beliefs? What are my values? What are my characteristics? You know, what are the things that I want to hold as my divine truths as a unique individual? What is my perspective? And by putting all of those pieces together now, how do I, as we go, if we're talking about workspaces, how does that shape my leadership? How do I harness my identity to shape my leadership? Because there's this quote that says, identity work is leadership work. And mm -hmm. we can't have identity, um, we can't have leadership without understanding who we are because it is together, right? It is one. And I used to hear this saying all the time in um, organizations where leave yourself at the house, but yeah. bring your skill set. I can't leave myself, who I yeah. am, how I show up, my perspective, my lens, my opinions, how I see things, all of those things encompass who I am as an individual. There is no leaving me. And so that's all of those things came together with regards to now, how do we have this conversation around shaping our identity and then using that to propel our leadership. I love that. So tell me a little bit about your, your training and your background that positions you for this unique niche of work around leadership development. It started with my own journey. Yeah. 
It started with me wanting and asking the question, who am I? Why am I here? And what is this like? I know just like some of the people on your show, I know what it's like to have a skill set. I know what it's like to be able to be everything to everybody because we as women, we have all of these multifaceted aspects of our identity. And mm. I was doing all of that, right? The mom, the wife, the choir, the choir leader, the, you know, <laughs> the Bible study leader, you know, being, I knew how to do all of these things, but I never um, actually said, but who am I? Not what I can do for others, not what other people want me to be for them but Stephanie who are you outside of roles and responsibilities I knew yeah. how to do the roles right mm, we know mm -hmm. how to take my responsibility but I never stopped and said but how do I show up like what are my gifts what is my perspective what does this mean for me so the journey started with me going on my own journey trying to figure out what that meant for me and then after that, I started teaching at Dr. Nika. I was like, well, I'm going to teach somebody. <laughs> I'm going to teach somebody else about what they think, right? So really, yes. I started with classes. I started teaching yeah. classes as I grew and I learned. Um, you know, I'm a spiritual, you know, I'm a spiritual person. So I remember driving down the road one day and I just heard the spirit say to me, the way that you did this for yourself is the way you will help other women do it too. And I was yeah. like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's go. And so after that, I just started teaching just small classes, Dr. Nika, nothing yeah. deep, you know, just a class here, a class there, and it started growing. And then women started telling other women about my classes and then women started showing up. So I did it doing luncheons. And so yeah. I started doing luncheons and they showed up at my luncheons and then it got bigger and I started doing conferences and then it was like, okay. And then it shifted. Now, how yeah. do I put all of these pieces and all of these components together to create a program and a process that supports women who are doing that seeking? And I started a program called In Pursuit of Me. And, yeah. you know, and just, it was, it started as a nine month and then we eventually got to around a six month course set. And mm -hmm. just started empowering women through those programs and through those classes, through um, coming together, through those different aspects of who we are. And it started to build where my curriculum started being based around five pillars, personal, professional, spiritual, physical, and relational. Now, and then the courses centered around those different components of how we showed up in spaces. And that during this time, I started going back to school, um, needing to learn more of the research components and I remember sitting in a individual psychology class in um, my master's program, and he was started talking and explaining this particular person's concept of individual psychology. And I was like, excuse me, like, that's my program. Are you telling me the man from the 1800s is like talking about what I've been teaching for these last? And it just blew me away. I was like, oh, my God. I'm, this guy is teaching my class. And, you know, in the class, everybody started laughing. But it just started connecting. The pieces started connecting. And I was like, well, what is your message? What is your life call to speak? How do you show up? How are you supposed to be impacting in that space? And so it just grew from my journey on to, you know, just bringing that research and that understanding with education. And then it ended with me doing my doctoral work where mm -hmm. my conversation is the portrait of a leader. How do we decenter? Mm -hmm prototypical leadership norms and normalize African-American women's leadership in spaces. 
You just said so much, and I'm just taking some quick notes because I want to make sure I can go back and ask very pointed questions <laughs> about some of the things you shared. And by sure. the way, none of us are sensing that you have any passion for this work at all. So, <laughs> oh, no, I love it. I love it. Going through. Yeah. You're definitely um, in your wheelhouse, in your calling, executing your purpose. And I think that's beautiful. And mm -hmm. that's a gift. And I think that um, there's probably a lot of people maybe that, that sit back and they listen to you talk so passionately about how you found your way and you know precisely what your identity is and, and yeah. all of the things that connects to that identity. And there's some people who are honestly, they're kind of um, wandering nomads. They're like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know really what I care about too much. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to articulate really the, um, the, the skill sets that I feel like could be used in, in multiple capacities. And so I would imagine that this type of service is, is really needed and mm -hmm. is welcome. And some people don't even know to ask for it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm interested to understand from your vantage point, Dr. Stephanie, how do you help people or coach people around realizing that they need this identity shaping type of exercise or support? Well, I think because everybody wants to know their purpose, I don't have to convince yeah. anybody of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody okay. wants to know, why am I here? I get that all the time. Well, you know, why am I yeah. here? And I always say, you know, I think we redefine purpose in a way that makes us chase after something that's already on the inside of us. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, yeah, and I say to people all the time, what is the message your life is called to speak instead of what is my purpose? Because I believe we all have a message. Our life speaks something. We have these victories. We have these traumas and lived experiences that have culminated into us having insight and authority around understanding. And so part of my program is, well, what is that message? Where mm -hmm. is your victory? How do you show up with that? What is it that you want to share? Because a part of the In Pursuit of Me is we discover our unique identity. We mm -hmm. become our best selves. We empower our lives and then we turn that around and impact with it. And I believe our impact is us. I believe we are the gift. Yeah. I am the gift. You are the gift. You are the gift to the world. How you talk and how you look and how you act, don't reduce that. That's the power of challenging prototypical leadership norms and workspaces. Because now what we're doing is we are exchanging the greatness of who we are for assimilation. And I use that word intentionally. Now yes. we're assimilating ourselves into caricatures and dynamics that aren't mm. even expressions of how we show up in our greatness, right? But right. if grab hold to it, Dr. Nikki. And I was like, this is me. I'm loud. I laugh loud. This is all, this is all me, right? But own it. Then your tribe shows up. The people who appreciate your greatness shows up. You create authentic, beautiful relationships because you're not hiding yourself. So to yeah. me, purpose is me. Purpose yeah. is my message. Purpose is my victory. Purpose is my journey. Purpose is my impact. And how the people who are in my in my circle are impacted by me and mm. what that means. And so I think purpose is me. Purpose is my lived message and journey. 
you have an amazing use of, of words and how you string them together. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but it's, it's beautiful to kind of hear you speak. It's inspiring to hear you speak. <laughs> um, I loved how you said that, um, you know, the message of our lives, what is it supposed to speak? And uh, being on a journey of, of being able to answer that is so important because it is directly tied to our purpose. Yes. And um, I love how earlier you said that when we are talking about who we are, our identities, that we often are assigning that to our roles and our responsibilities and not to the broader spectrum of all these other things that make us who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so critically important. Yes. Um, I talk a little bit about your personal leadership philosophy. You've touched on it a little bit, but I want to go deeper there. And, and this is getting me into another discussion that I want to have as a follow-up about the prototypical leadership, because I think that sometimes people will try to align with a already subscribed leadership approach or style instead mm -hmm. of being on a journey to find their own approach. And so what is your leadership philosophy? And then let's talk about the, the prototypical leadership style and how that connects to this broader conversation we're having today. Well, from the context of when we talk about, when I talk about leadership philosophy, my lens is what are my beliefs? What are my values? How do I link that to how I desire to show up as a unique individual because I impact with who I am, right? Mm -hmm. So my philosophy first is, you know, again, back to that quote, leadership work is identity work. I cannot be a great leader without leading myself first. Mm. That yeah. leads us all down the, the rabbit hole of emotional intelligence, right? Before I can other, I first right. to do the work for myself. So I, you know, the core of my philosophy is you have to do the personal work. I don't care yeah. who you are. I don't care if you're the follower or the leader. I have to do this work. And listen, when I do this work, it increases my capacity to appreciate other people across difference. Yes. I've done the work. Yeah. I have a lens to appreciate other people's difference because I'm appreciating my own difference. Your own, yeah. Yeah, if we can't accept ourselves because we haven't really clearly identified who we are, how yeah. can we then accept others who are different from us? I love that. I love that. Yeah. And there's no way around the brain work. Like, you know, I love I love the little neuro stuff, Dr. Nika. <laughs> right. We we can't get beyond that with the brain work, right? When we talk about, you know, neuroplasticity, the ability for us to be able to change and to grow and to shift in connection to, right? And what we fail to realize as unique individuals, a part of my philosophy is you need to understand how the brain works. And a lot mm -hmm. of times because we don't understand how the brain works, it helps us to walk in spaces of offense or frustration sure. because we think someone is um, attacking us. But really yeah. the explanation is, this is what your brain do, baby. Your brain does. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. This bad people is part of just being humans, right? <laughs> we are yeah. all human, right? We all carry biases because mm -hmm. our brain puts things and I'm going to do it real low, you know, low level in categories. I know there's a bigger conversation, but you know, we really categorize things right with our decision mm -hmm. process and our reticular activating system in the back of our brains comes into connection with what that looks like, what's going on around us. It takes 
all of our lived experience, all mm -hmm. of our interpretation, our beliefs, our values, and it puts it in categories so that when we come into connection with other people, relationships, perspectives, and lenses, it goes straight to our default setting. Going back to yeah. why identity-centered leadership is important, because if you don't know your defaults, yeah. Yeah. if you don't know your settings, if you don't know how, who you are and your upbringing has impact that, right? Going back to philosophy, because my desire is we all need to develop a philosophy. We all need to understand what that looks like with our beliefs, right? And right. when we know ourselves, back to the philosophy question, then I can, when I deal with you, understand that my philosophy is impacting how I'm dealing with you, right? So if I see someone who's single, I can have a philosophy philosophy that marriage is great. Marriage is better than anything, right? <laughs> and then, so when I look at a single person, if I'm not conscious of my lens, you know what I'm going to tell her? Girl, you need to get married. Yeah. You okay. need a man. Why are you not married? Which a lot of people are like, really, that's, that's off-putting to ask a single person, why you haven't got married yet? You know, or like, why you haven't had kids yet? Yes. They totally get it. But yeah. it's my paradigm. Yes, it's yes. my it's my philosophy of self that is yes. helping me to interact with the world, and I am unconscious of my own beliefs and values and and intentions around how I show up. So I'm projecting, right? Yeah. So now I'm projecting because we live in all of us, every last one of us. We live in a paradigm. We live in our own little worlds, and when we don't increase our capacity with an identity centered lens. We don't avail ourselves to a bigger picture that allows other people to be who they are. And me not thinking in a binary way that I have to be right and you have to be wrong. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm just I'm just taking it all in for a moment, as I'm sure this audience is as well. And we're getting some good commentary happening into the chat. Great. So I, I want to jump into your doctoral studies. You did reference that earlier. And um, I would love for you to tell us a bit more about your findings and what was the impetus that led you to that very particular study. Well, my study was about how do we decenter prototypical leadership norms and normalize African-American women's leadership in dominant culture organizations. And the conversation kind of started based on my lived experience, my journey of being, you know, being a Black woman, being a woman in leadership, having that um, the intersectionality of all of the things that made me who I am, and then having clients who were leaders, who were dealing with those same dynamics and, and coming into concept with that. And then um, talking to women who were executives in leadership spaces and recognizing, so what makes them a success? And what are the real um, the, the leverages for the conversation that I wanted to have was, we know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. We know the challenges, but there's no research about why we're successful. Mm -hmm. I know the research around what's keeping Black women yeah. from leadership spaces, but I don't see anybody talking about how to help them be successful. Mm -hmm. What are the keys? What is the, what is the sauce? And so mm -hmm. I started interviewing executive Black women around their sauce. Why are you successful? Why are you successful? What happened? And oh my God, Dr. Nika, they all said the same thing. All of them. I know who I am. Ah. And yeah. I know how I show up. I have a sense of self. 
I don't let anybody tell me who I'm not, no matter what. And I'm, listen, and I'm willing to deal with the consequences of showing up as me. Girl. Yeah. And they all said it. All yeah. of them. And so I was like, okay, so now how, how do I have a conversation with this to create curriculum? Because I love creating curriculum and I love creating those types of things. I said, so how can I take this knowledge and create a curriculum that supports women who are already in executive spaces, who are dealing with the challenges of, you know, like, is it me? Like when I do executive coaching, I mean, like powerhouse black women and they're going, Stephanie, I know who I am, but sometimes girl, I'd be like, is it me? Like, is it, is it really me? <laughs> am, I, am I the problem? Uh, I don't think I am, but I need you to talk to me because, you know, this is getting out of hand. And so being able to have this curriculum and talk about these concepts of having a sense of self. And that's why I called it the portrait of a leader because based on research, black women are considered to be non-prototypical. Think about that. Yes, but we are. We use prototypical leadership norms to find, recognize, and advance leaders. Yeah. If research says I'm non-prototypical, you're not looking for me. Mm. You're not, you don't even consider that I have a leadership modality. Right. And so in my research, I, you know, I pulled out these competencies that I heard women say made up who they were um, to develop what it was for their success. And so I began to train as a part of my doctoral work, training on these competencies and mm -hmm. helping the women develop out their leadership blueprint, right? Who am I as a leader? How do I show up and what that looks like? Who, who am I and how do I want to be engaged? And then now, how does that impact my leadership with people, right? And what I also found interesting is 99% of the women who went through my research on the back end, the women who mm -hmm. took my curriculum that I trained, they didn't even know they had a modality. They never mm. heard that they had a modality. They only heard of styles or gender theory norms, right. those types of things. But to say, what? We got a modality? We have a show up? I yeah. didn't know what that is, right? And so that's, that's the culmination of my research. We have a leadership modality, African-American women do. But in order for it to be effective in spaces, we have to decenter what the mm. prototypical leadership norms are which are based on two people or two groups, white males and white women. Yeah. And they have a lived experience. They have a show up. They have lenses, right? They have, um, mm. uh, you know, different types of ways in which they have been impacted. But we're saying they're the default setting for leadership. And we're right. treating everybody as if that norm can actually facilitate everybody else's lived experience. Right. And we know that that's not true because if we continue to use it, we will continue not to be able to recognize or engage other people from um, that we consider to have marginalized identities to have space in this leadership dynamic. And it's not about skill. My research said it's not about skill, it's not about ability, it is about the challenge of coming against a prototypical leadership norm that keeps me invisible and only visible when you need me for account and invisible when I need to really show up as myself. So um, 
I'm a little speechless right now because this is so resonating with me on a deep, deep, deep level. What keeps coming up for me is take up space, take up space. That's all I keep hearing just, you know, repeating in my head. Yeah. That's what it means. What you have just described, Dr. Stephanie, is what it means to take up space. Yes. Because we aren't taking up space when no. we are just conforming and assimilating. And because we're so conditioned to this prototypical leadership, which yes. is all about centering whiteness. Yes. Because that is how we as a society define leadership, define professionalism, unfortunately. Yes. So I love that you are bringing such great gems to this conversation that is rich. Yes. And I hope that this audience is getting it to the level and the extent in which is resonating with me. And I believe so just by looking at some of what's happening in the chat right now. Um, okay, so we're going to be shifting in just a little to take some questions and comments from the, the audience. And you can let us know that you're interested in doing so if you're a part of the Zoom community by using the raise hand feature. And I will call on you, I will spotlight you, and I will allow you to unmute yourself and share. If you are just here and you do have a question, but would like to maybe share your question through the chat, we will make sure that that gets presented on your behalf within the time that we have remaining. And if you are joining us LinkedIn Live, we haven't forgotten about you. Go to the comment section. We're closely watching questions that you may place there so that Dr. Stephanie can um, engage with you in that way. So as you percolate on maybe your curiosities that are coming up, your questions and contributions you want to make, I'm going to go to maybe another question or two just to give you that time. So I want to talk about um, how identity-centered leadership can improve talent assessments, um, succession planning, uh, performance management, um, particularly from a lens of the inequalities, the inequities that exist. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that, please? Again, I'm going to say the same thing. It starts with the person who is actually giving <laughs> the test or having the succession plan, yeah. having the conversation. If we do not increase our capacity by not just having Black women go through the program and do the work, but everybody has to do this identity work. Everybody has to increase their capacity to understand who they are and how they show up and what is impacting what that means for them. Everybody needs to know what their identity blueprint is. Because sure. if you do not know, you then become unconscious to how you are impacting the world around you and how you are interpreting what is going on around you. Yeah. And for example, there is a research study that is talking about, I'm doing, um, I'm getting ready to, I'm writing an article called Redefining Black Women's Communication mm -hmm. in Spaces. And in this research study, it's so fascinating, they show that Black women use direct communication in order to reduce conflict and to reduce confusion, right? That's, that's how we show up. But the research study also shows that white women's lens yeah. for the reduction of conflict and the reduction of confusion is more of a avoidance kind of yeah. conversation and, communication. and yes, kind of going around it, kind of leaning into. So when you don't know that about yourself, if you don't know that that's not how you show up, then when you see a black woman coming to you and say, so what's the problem? Why aren't we addressing that? 
So why can't we go this way? Is that not what's happening, right? We were taught how to do that from our childhood. I remember I have been surrounded in my youth. You know, I love to talk about the history because that's the intersectionality, right? Yes, yes. My mom and my aunties, they'd be like, girl, talk louder. Yeah, speak up. Speak up. Mm-hmm. What's the problem? You can't say what you mean to mean what you say. Yeah, get to the point. Get cut. So that is our imprint. That is our show up. That is how we have been taught direct, right? But yes. the biggest issue that my executive coaching clients have an issue with in their spaces is they say that they're too direct. How? Why do you talk like that? Why do you say that to them? Are you angry? No, I'm not angry. I'm trying to get to where we're heading with the conversation. So we don't understand, right? Me giving, I'm okay, you're coming in and we're getting ready to go over how you've been and and I'm looking at your schedule and how you've been interacting. And then I come to you and go, well, you know, you are really, really direct. Yes. (laughs) Well, I have a problem with that. So now you're coming at me with your lens of understanding that direct is a problem. I'm coming to you with my lens that direct keeps from problems from happening. Yes. And so now you're giving me a performance understanding on my paperwork based on your lens, not based on who I am, not based on outcomes, not based on whether or not I get the job done, not based on what my numbers are. You are looking at me through your lens, your paradigm. And as a result of that, you are writing your descriptive of me based on your show up. It's not mine. So you're keeping yourself from understanding that, oh, you know, well, Stephanie, you know, I don't, I don't do it that way. And what's powerful, Dr. Nika, is neither one of them is wrong. Yes, neither so one of you them is use, wrong. If you use avoidance communication to get to your end, okay. But mine is direct. And do not reduce how I show up to your lens and then say to me on my paperwork, that I'm the problem. No, you just don't really know who you are and how you show up. Do you see how that is? That's why everybody has to know their blueprint. Yes. I, I wish you could see the chat because it's blowing up right now. And I am <laughs> doing my best to restrain myself from turning this into like um, uh, a Anika personal like therapy coaching session with Dr. Stephanie. I'm being honest, okay? <laughs> I'm being honest. So you you best be for sure that I'm going to be contacting you after this conversation because I, I need I need to unpack some stuff with you with the Dr. Stephanie M. Kirkland. Let me just say that. Yes. But um, yes, and I know that you keep repeating yourself because that is the fundamental answer here. Everybody has to have that same level of self awareness. Yes. Here's what I want to try to address though. Okay. What is the responsibility of organizations who are um, employing people of all different styles and backgrounds and demographics when they know that they want them to show up at their best? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the question before it, it, it spoke to like talent assessment, succession planning, performance management. So I get the individualized responsibility. But when I think about how much this impacts workplace culture, and just interactions. What are you saying to like organizational leaders about their responsibility to create these spaces and opportunities for people to dig deeper into the self-identity leadership? What I am saying to them is you have to decenter yeah. <laughs> typical leadership norms. Yeah. And, and it's not that, and you need to expand 
the capacity of your developmental processing and trainings so that everyone can be on the same playing field. A lot of the, the issues is centered around ignorance and really not understanding what's happening in the brain, not understanding that, you know what, here's a good, let me give this example. We have to redefine what unity means. Mm-hmm. For most people and most organizations, unity is centered on what we call a social identity theory, mm-hmm. which means that we all come together around a concept of understanding and that creates community and relevance. Mm-hmm. But if we change where unity really supposed to lie, unity is not sameness. Unity is not assimilation. Unity is us coming together to go towards the goal, to go towards the end, to go towards where it is for organizational productivity. Yes, common unity. We break that word down. Sometimes we can think about it that way, yes. Right, so unity is not saying this with regards to me and you, Dr. Nika. Mm -hmm. Unity is, okay, bring your ideas, bring your perspective, bring your lens to the table. I'm going to bring my ideas, bring my lens, bring my understanding to the table. We're going to put the goal and the outcome at the top of the conversation. And then we're going to do what we call human interactions, win-win relationships. We're going to create a culture of win-win relationships where I can, you know, have psychological safety. I can put it on the table. It's not about me getting all of what I want, you getting all of your what you want. It is about the end. It is about how are we getting to the goal? How are we getting to the productivity? How are we getting to the change? It's not about me winning. It's about us winning in a collaborative way, but the only way for us to get the best of the understanding is for everybody to be free to put their ideas on the wall. And and if it don't stick, it don't stick. If that ain't yours, because I'm comfortable with who I am, right? I'm not offended that you don't like my idea. Okay, if you don't like it, it's fine. It's not about that. It's about what is going to be best for the organizational outcome. And what is best for the organizational outcome is me coming to the table in all of the greatness of who I am, because that's when you get the innovation. Research shows that. That's where you get the creativity. That's where you get the productivity. That's where you get the great camaraderie. That's where you get healthy relationships, because I understand what it means to show up and all of my difference. I have the capacity to see you in that same light, and we together are trying to get to an end. Does that make sense? I hope I answered the question. So yes, the organization, yes. we know what they want. They want their end result. They want their money. They want their increase. They want their sales. And so my conversation is, if you want the best of every individual, you have to allow them to be who they are. And you have to change your understanding of what unity means. Because as soon as you shift that conversation, that unity is not about sameness and assimilation. And think about it. This is historical. This is what the United States was founded on, right? So we have these unconscious lenses in the back of our heads about what that looks like. And we're bringing it into organizational spaces and we're missing out on the greatness of what's sitting right in the room. Yeah. So there's a question that I was going to ask you and it aligns with a question from one of our audience members, um, Precious Boyle. So thanks for this question, but it relates to how women in leadership can find or develop their identity. So specifically, I'll state it the way that Precious wrote it in the chat. Are there tools that you can offer to support organizations in auditing their leadership prototypes 
to recognize biases and what they have to find. But love to be able to offer those to my clients. So there are, now this is what's beautiful about identity-centered leadership. Okay. You know what it is. I can do a disc assessment all day long and you know how to, you know, I can do a 360. Mm-hmm. We have those types of, of tools, but the power of identity-centered leadership is the work to do the personal work. It's like being it's like being on an archeological site. That's what I tell people when they come to my class. Okay, we, we put on your hats, we're going on an archeological dig, but you're the dig, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, so let's start doing this self-awareness. It begins with self-awareness, right? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? What does that mean? Where did you get that from? Questions like that, like what is your belief systems around? Giving people concepts and, and conversations for them to do the self-discovery work about why they're showing up the way they're showing up and what that looks like for them. And then giving them the option to say, you know what? That was my mama. Dr. Nika, you know, that was my mama right there. That's right. where I came from. <laughs> yes. you know? And But it's, it's slowing down enough to recognize how you're living your life out and what those values are, what those characteristics are, what those beliefs are that are controlling you. And I think that we're so unconscious about Mm -hmm. how we're we're existing. People haven't learned how to live. Come on, Dr. Nika. We haven't learned, we've learned how to exist. Research shows us that by the age of eight, our personality shaping has been done. So think about this, Dr. Nika. If you have not done any personal development work since you were eight, (laughs) you're walking around with an eight-year-old personality. Yeah. So we're in organizations right. where people with an eight-year-old perspective because they've never done the personal development work to understand or to reimagine or to redevelop or to challenge their engagement to why am I angry? What does that mean? Where did where did that come from? What is my yeah. frustration? What are the roots of my baggage? Because we have been so inundated with trying to get from one place to the other. We've never taking the time. And that's why well-being is so important, right? To deal with the issues and the continuities of who we are as individuals, knowing that who I am impacts how I show up. Yeah. How I show up impacts my relationship, Mm -hmm. impacts my leadership, impacts what I interpret going on around me. Right. My lens. Yes. We have to correct the lens. Yeah, it impacts how I empathize, how I problem solve, all yes. the things, how I communicate. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Every, yeah. Every, we cannot yeah. get around identity, Dr. Nika. No. We cannot get around. You can ignore it all you want to, but what'll happen is you'll turn around and someone will tell you what they see and you'll be like, who? Me? Yeah. Yes, you do. Right. It now seems- we're in a fight. It seems so simple, but yet um, there's a reason that you have positioned yourself to be able to help people navigate the complexity of it, because it is complex in some ways. And so this really gets to the next question from one of our audience members. And this question is coming from Deborah Williams. But, you know, are there self-awareness tools that you would recommend for those leaders who may still be sitting at that eight-year-old personality (laughs) trying to find their way, right? I mean, there's so many tools these days that you really don't know how to evaluate, you know, which ones do we go to? Do we use a combination? So how do you guide people when they're looking to get on that journey? I tell people to start with self-awareness. 
I tell people to start. Now, this is something everybody can do all weekend. This is this is y'all's mm-hmm. homework. This is okay. we're gonna start with tool number one. Okay. <laughs> self-awareness. Self-awareness. To pay attention to how you're interacting and what you're doing this weekend. And I want you to ask yourself some questions. Give yourself permission to slow down. That's the first key to self-awareness, right? Wow. You've got to get out of busy mode. Slow down. And I want you, when you interact with people, ask yourself, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where did that come from? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where did that come from? And after you ask yourself those questions, then say to yourself, do I want to keep it? Next interaction, you're driving down the road. Oh, and now you're in road rage. And I want you to slow down and go, what? Why did I, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Mm-hmm. Why did I react that way? Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. If we just start doing those, that just that one simple exercise will change your life. Yeah. Because you are now evaluating who you are and how you're showing up. And deciding if that is what you want. And then you have the availability to say, do I want to stay here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do I want to keep that love? That follow-up question is so important. It's not just that self-reflection of like answering yeah. those questions. You know, why did I do that? You know, wh- what, you know, but it's also then, do I want to keep it? So it's then assessing, you're mm-hmm. reflecting and also you're assessing, do I, is this healthy for me? Is this useful for me? Is this yeah. how I want to show up to the world? Yes. You know, yes. and, and, then, and then you have to ask the question, what is the belief that was attached to this? Right. Yeah. And then what is the new belief? <sighs> because yeah. that's what that same stressor is coming. Yeah. And you're going to have to have a script to deal with the same stressor. Right. Right. I love this down um, tactic too, because, you know, admittedly, I, I have a right now spirit. I am like, and I think that just in general, we live in a society where we're always just filling our days with what feels productive. Yes. And if it doesn't feel like we're, we're getting our hands busy and our hands dirty and we're doing mm-hmm. things. And then sometimes it feels like it's not productive. And so that's really kind of this busy mindset that we have. And so I love the, the, the notion of slowing down, mm-hmm. using that as part of the tactic when we are really assessing, going through those questions and assessing um, how we're showing up in that moment. That's really critical. And busy mindset is a belief. Yeah, yeah. It's a belief. It's not necessarily productive, yeah. It's so true. Gandhi says it like this. Our beliefs become our thoughts. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our actions. Our actions become our habits. And our habits direct our destiny. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. So that's why yeah. I say slow down. We have yeah, to find the belief because that belief yeah. is going to turn into a thought. And we don't even do that. We're not even paying attention to what we're thinking. We're doing self-deprecating behavior in, in our minds, right? Yeah. And there's a scripture that says faith cometh by hearing. We're thinking, we're thinking faith on the outside of us, but oh my God, faith cometh by hearing you. Yes. Yes. What are you hearing? What are you Dr. Stephanie. Yeah. So we have some requests and this is um, coming from Tracy. So thank you, Tracy. But um, she's asking about your research. Is your research um, published and it's somewhere where we can um, allow it to be um, accessible to this community? 
Yes, it is. It's called The Portrait of a Leader. Okay, The Portrait of a Leader. So, okay, so my team is going to see if we can source that, but your research is called The Portrait of a Leader, and we're going to try to share that link into the chat. So thank you for that. Okay, another question. I'm watching the time. This is so good. Okay, um, and we did have, um, so this is from Kwabana. Thank you so much. I'm curious as to if you have done or you know of anyone that has done similar research on Black slash mixed multi-ethnic black men so okay so he's saying okay we're talking about the women here but what about what about the men <laughs> i hear you <laughs> um, I, I can't help you on that <laughs> well the answer is unfortunately no but you know what it sounds like a really good exercise so maybe it you'll want to take that on and maybe dr stephanie can give you some some pointers for how, how to get that underway <laughs> yeah. but again the framework will be close to the same because if uh, you're through my lens an identity-centered lens then of course everything begins with identity, no matter if you're male or female, no matter what color yeah, you are. Yeah, right? sure. So it, it's the same, it, it is the same no matter who it is, right? Because we're going in organizations, everybody has an identity center, right? And everyone needs to develop what that blueprint is to be conscious. Not research shows us over 90% of our decisions are made unconsciously. Think about that. And the majority <laughs> of people believe they're living in their conscious mind. Yeah, but really, your decisions before you make your decisions have already been made by the patterns that you have created that shape your identity and how you show up in spaces. And that's why a lot of times it's so hard to teach people how to shift and change and deal with their unconscious bias because they think that they're living here, but you're, you're living, you're living here. And so that autopilot that our brains are connected to the dynamics of how we can show up and do what we do, all that, you know, all that quick thinking and, and witness, that is not a conscious action. That is a decision-based process that has already been centered in your brain. So if you're not doing that slow down, conscious belief, understanding why I'm doing that work, you don't have access to your unconscious brain. Until right. there are situations and circumstances to alert you of how you're interacting. That's why I gave you the first exercise, because it is through your interaction that you actually have a lens into what is already programmed in your brain from your youngest age. Some things that you might not even remember that you have actually calibrated because of its emotional impact on what happened to you in your past. And you think you're living at 50. Come on now. But really, you're living at an incident that happened to you in Bristol. Yes. And so yes. you're showing up with this, this lens of not being wanted or needing to be needed. And now you're in corporate spaces and someone's direct to you. And now your feelings are hurt, not because they did it, but because your autopilot, that, that, that lens, that, you know, that brain, that, that fight or flight, that quick action that takes place in your brain, your brain done went through the file and it pulled out the file on something that happened to you in your past because of that emotional connection. And now you're using that in organizational spaces with your relationships. And you're so unconscious of it because you so think you're living here, but my friend, you're living back here. I think there's something to be said just for sitting in silence for like maybe just 10 or 15 seconds to soak all this up before we let you go. <laughs> I really do. So I'm 
I'm hearing from the audience and I'm feeling this deeply within my own spirit that this is not our last conversation. Dr. Stephanie, we want to invite you back. I mean, in fact, my, my head is like blowing up right now with all of these thoughts around um, ways in which I want to get more women exposed to, to you and your message and your work. And not just more women, but just leaders in general. Mm -hmm. This is so good. Um, one of the things that I just took a, a look at, I had to remind myself exactly where you're based. And you're in North Carolina. I'm in South Carolina. So listen, okay. you better bet on the fact that we will, we will meet up. We will have some time together. And, mm -hmm. um, and I just, I just thank all these folks for showing up to my, my personal therapy session. You didn't know this, but you were showing up to <laughs> Everybody's yes, like, no, this is my therapy session. But no, in all seriousness, this was so rich. We did share in the um the chat the portrait of a leader. So thank you, Alfred. You're yeah. so great about um having those resources to, to be made available pretty quickly to our audience. So thank you. Um, in the spirit of knowing how rich this conversation is, I also want to introduce to this podcast community that we have on occasions received notes from many of you. Um, that have expressed how this space of sharing and hearing from different speakers has really impacted you in many different ways, both personally and professionally, and how you've taken some of the learning and been able to apply it and even help others. We've also heard from many of our um, co-hosts how they have had such a great experience in co-creating the learning that, that takes place during these hours of time. Why do I share all of that? Because those testimonials are coming right now organically, but we want to be intentional to capture them so that we can use them to share it out so that more people can become exposed to intentional conversations through our vodcast community or through the podcast. And so if you're willing, my colleague has placed a link into the chat. I would love it if as many of you as possible would just take a quick moment to fill that out. Let us know um, how intentional conversations is, is a value to you and we would love to be able to share that with others the recording will be made available that question has come as well it's made available every week so you can always catch the replays and uh, we've also shared uh, or we will share again i think we may have early on but we'll share dr kirkland's um, linkedin information i do encourage you all to reach out connect with her on linkedin and um and just you know again take this information and and, and reflect on it and and follow the the homework that dr kirkland has given us for this weekend i want to um thank you so much for sharing with us i want to thank this community for being here and i want to give you an opportunity to close us out dr kirkland in your own way um what would you like to leave us with today i want to leave with this quote that i think is <laughs> Um, I, I want to do two quotes, if that's okay. The first quote is, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crushed into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. That's from Andrea Lord. She is so powerful. Oh. I love, yeah. love her. And yes. then this next quote is from Elaine Weltworth. So powerful. And she said, when you exist in spaces that weren't built for you, remember that sometimes just being you is the revolution. Mm -hmm. mm. Beautiful. Isn't that juicy? Say a lot. It's very juicy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You all take care. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.